Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 13. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 13. We're continuing as Jesus Christ, as it says in the Gospel Record of Luke chapter 13, it says, and he went through the city's teaching. Uh, cities and villages teaching and journeying to Jerusalem. So Jesus Christ is making his march towards Jerusalem. And we can see that he's going to be making his way and all along the way there is going to be opposition after opposition. He's already preached a message and the the president of the synagogue stands up and angrily addresses the crowd concerning Jesus instead of talking to Jesus or at least trying to reason with him. We could see that the Pharisees have put obstacles. We've had people that have come and asked foolish questions in the middle of his sermons. And now once again, Jesus had taken some time and he spoke two parables and spoke about that people can be saved and people needed to be saved and that they needed to take it seriously and consider these things. At the very end of that message, he's going to continue on and he's going to have a delegation of Pharisees that are going to come up and deliver a message. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the gospel record of Luke chapter 13, and notice with me in verse number 31. The gospel record of Luke chapter 13 in verse number 31, the Bible says this, the same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, that ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, please mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke chapter 13. The gospel record of Luke chapter 13 and verse number um, 34, notice the phrase at the very beginning, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And with this, we're going to see the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning this city of Jerusalem. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would give us understanding, and that you would allow us as we take this time to see your heart to see the heart of compassion that you had towards your people and towards this city. And Lord, help us to learn more about the compassion that you have. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. As we begin, it starts off on the same day, the same day. So he just finished preaching this great message, this powerful message on people need to make sure. They need to know for sure. They need to agonize. They need to strive that they know for sure that they have this eternal life. To know that they are saved. Now, the same day as this message, a delegation of Pharisees come up. And they gladly be, uh, deliver a message. The first thing we show here is the threat on his life. The threat on his life. Verse number 31. And the same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out, depart for hence, for Herod will kill thee. Now, no, if it came from anyone else, you might consider this as a warning. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Herod, the king there. He wants to kill you. But seeing who the audience came from, it's the Pharisees. And we know the Pharisees have their own motive. You know, Satan's plan has always been to stop Jesus from going to the cross. I know that different religions and different Christian ideologies may say different things. But Satan did not want Jesus to go to the cross. Let me tell you, he did everything he could... Satan tried to have Herod the Great, we'll speak about that in a second, tried to kill all the children trying to wipe out this child, Jesus, when he was born. We could see that during the opening of his public ministry, G, uh, that Satan gave a very legitimate offer to Christ. That Satan would give up the war if all Jesus did was bow down and worship Satan. That, that Satan would have quit right then and there. And Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. I'll just give you the world. I'll, I'll just surrender. Satan did everything he could. Over and over in the gospel records, you'll see where people either tried to kill Jesus or tried to make him and force him to be the king. Everything Satan could do to keep Jesus from the cross. And once again, we have an attempt by the Pharisees. Now, of course, they don't understand what's going on. They just don't want Jesus going forward. And so they said, Jesus, don't go this way. Herod, he wants to kill you. He wants to get rid of you. Now, who is this Herod? Now, we know that sometimes people use the same names. We know Herod the Great was someone who was a ruler uh, of the Jewish people. Uh, and the early part of Jesus' life, in fact, when he was born. And he was the one who was responsible of the slaughter of the innocents, of killing all the children. Well, Herod also had a son by the name of Herod Antipas. This is the identification of this Herod here. It is not Herod the Great, but it is Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had been raised in Rome, and he was an evil and spoiled brat. When his dad died... Uh, Augustus Caesar, Octavius Caesar, granted uh, um, Herod Antipas to be the tetrarch, to be the ruler of the region we would call Galilee, and the region that's on the other side of the of the Jordan where Jesus currently is at, which we would call Perea. And so Herod Antipas is this ruler. Now Herod Antipas had happened to marry the daughter of the king of a city by the name of Petra, which is identified in Edom in that territory there. And so he was married for a while until he went to go visit his brother Herod Philip. 
And while he was there, he saw Herod Philip and his wife Herodotus, who happened to be their sister, and said, hey, why are you with this guy? And they began an affair. And in this affair, Herod Antipas decided he was going to divorce his current wife, which caused a war between the city of Petra and everything that's going on. It was this Herod who had stolen his wife. And it was this Herod who John the Baptist went and put his bony finger in his face and listened. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And because of that preaching, John the Baptist was thrown in a jail. And of course, the wife did not appreciate the preaching and did not like it a lot. And so she arranged for John the Baptist to be killed. And it was this Herod who killed John the Baptist. So this is someone who does not, who is not innocent. This is someone who's already killed a prophet. Someone that the Jewish people regarded as a great prophet. And so Jesus was not safe. He was someone that reasonably could have been killed by Herod Antipas. And of course, any politician would always be afraid of someone who's building a crowd. And so, the death threats were not unreasonable. Meaning that it wasn't unreasonable that Herod would make these threats. But, then you look at exactly who it is that's delivering this. And we could see it's the Pharisees. Can you imagine what great joy the Pharisees would have to deliver this message? Listen, Jesus, you've overextended yourself. Let me tell you, we Pharisees, we get along with Herod. We, we don't ruffle any feathers. We know whose backyard to stay in. But let me tell you, you're not just messing with our yard. You're starting to get the uh, ire of Herod. And he can do you some great harm. And he, he has plans of killing you. We're just, we just thought we would do you a favor, Jesus, and just let you know that Herod's planning on killing you. You better watch yourself. And of course, the Pharisees probably took great joy in delivering this news. And so, the news is delivered. What is Jesus going to do? Is Jesus going to run and hide? Is he going to say, oh no, it was too much. Oh no, someone threatened my life. I better pack it all up. I, 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 just, I don't want anybody to be offended with me. What is Jesus' response? Well, notice with me in verse number 32. And he, Jesus, said unto them, this delegation of Pharisees, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day, I shall be perfected. He says, listen, you go tell that fox. You go tell that little sly, subtle creature. I'm healing. I'm doing God's work. And his death threats won't stop me. I've got a plan. I've got something that God has given me to do. In fact, notice this phrase. He says, the cures I do today and tomorrow and the third day. Now, what this is, is a saying that was used by the Jewish people of that time. That is referring to, uh, it, it says, today and tomorrow and the third day. Now, this isn't referring to, well, yesterday and today and then the next day, that three days straight. But it is a colloquial saying used at this time that carries the idea that I have a purpose to be accomplished. Today... Or yesterday, today, tomorrow. I'm going to consistently do what I've been told to do. I did it yesterday. I'm going to do it today. And guess what? I'm still going to do it tomorrow. 
I've got something to do. I've got God's will to get accomplished. I've got somewhere to be. And by the way, when I'm done, I'm going to be perfected. This has the idea to be complete or whole. So he says, listen, you can go tell that fox that I'm still going to do what I'm supposed to do. I cure the sick. I cast out devils. I do God's will. I did it yesterday. I did it today. And guess what I'm going to be doing tomorrow? I'm still going to be doing what God's given me to do. That his death threats, they're not going to stop me. By the way, you Pharisees, you're not going to stop me. I'm going to keep going. You know, it's said by an old evangelist that the true measure of a man is not what he gets accomplished, but rather by what it takes to stop him. There are some people that have grand plans and as long as there's no opposition, they'll get things done. Oh, but you let one person say something bad about them and they curl up in a little ball and I can't go on. I can't move forward. How can I go on? What does it take to stop you? Jesus got a death threat by someone who was capable of carrying it out. I mean, there's one thing of getting a death threat by someone who uh, is too lazy to go get a job. You're not worried about him coming to kill you. you? But Herod, he could, he's already killed people before. He's already done something. This is a legitimate threat. This is something, that, and by the way, it would be Herod's blessing that sends Jesus to the cross. So we're not saying that something that's not unreasonable, unfathomable, or laughing about. Jesus said, I don't care where the death threat comes from. And I don't care how real or credible it is. I'm going to do God's will. Same I did yesterday. Same I'm doing today. And guess what? I'm going to do it tomorrow too. I'm going to do what God has given me to do. In fact, notice what he continues on. Verse number 33. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. Here's that phrase again. It said, listen, I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And guess what I'm going to do the day after? I'm still going to do God's will. I'm still going to do what God has given me. Nothing's going to stop me. I've got something to be accomplished. And he said, nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Now, this is one of those things, just like texting. Texting doesn't get emotion through. And it's easy to misinterpret a text when you don't hear the emphasis behind it. In this phrase here, we have what is called sarcasm. Some of you speak that as a second language. Some of you may not be familiar with this, but this is sarcasm. Where he says, oh, for it cannot be that a prophet perisheth out of Jerusalem. How about all of them? They killed all of them. Oh, I'll go to Jerusalem. Surely no one will kill a preacher if they go to Jerusalem. Jesus knows full well what is going to happen to him as soon as he gets to Jerusalem. He's making a very sarcastic remark here. I'm going to go anyways. I know that they plan on killing me and I'm still going. What does it take to stop you? A stub toe, does that keep you from doing what God's given you to do? A little sniffle, does that keep you from reading your Bible? Does a, a sad day keep you from going to church? You said, preacher, you're, you're not being very comforting right now. I know, but you understand, what does it take to stop you? Jesus is being threatened with his life with a credible source. And he says, listen, I'm going to be consistent in God's will. I'm going to do God's will yesterday. I'm going to do God's will today. And guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to do God's will. Let me tell you, I'm going to do God's will today. 
I'm going to do it tomorrow. And guess what I'm going to do the day after? I'm going to do what God has given to me to do. That there's nothing going to stop me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to determine. And guess what? If they kill me, they kill me. In fact, he sarcastically acknowledged, guess what? I'm going there and they're going to kill me. And I'm going anyways because this is what God has given me to do. Which brings me to the second thing here. To Jerusalem to die. To Jerusalem to die. Which is what I was already speaking about. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is acknowledging that in the Old Testament days, because God wanted to get a hold of Jerusalem because he loved them, he would sit prophet after prophet after prophet. We understand that we have many prophets that are named in the Bible. We have many writing prophets, but there were many prophets that God sent that did not write. In fact, we have many prophets that are very small minor characters that are mentioned in the Bible. And we have prophets that are not named in the Bible. But Jerusalem had the habit of killing him. What do you take? Godly King Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who served so many of these kings, who tried to prophesy and tried to work with the kings, until finally as an old man, one king had enough and they took godly Hezekiah, put him in a hollowed out laud, and they... they um, they sawed him in sunder. They cut him in half. Here's a man that should have been put in a pedestal and should have said, listen, he was our conscience. He was our help. But instead, they killed him. You think of Elijah. An Elijah who God had used and did great miracles. And yet, you had Queen Jezebel that said, I want to kill them all. Now, we know that she's not in Jerusalem, but you have the idea that it doesn't matter if you're a prophet, God's people will end up killing you. That's what Jerusalem does. And Jesus has acknowledged this. Notice what he said here. Oh, oh, Jerusalem and Jerusalem, which of the prophets, or which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee? Well, Jesus had no intention of robbing them from their most notable victim. He says, I'm going to go and they're going to kill me too. Let's not rob them. Let them have what they're going to have. Which now brings us to a third thing here. The compassion of Jesus. So he started with a death threat. He acknowledged that Jerusalem, they had the habit of killing prophets. But then we see Jesus' compassion. He starts off the verse in number 34. Oh, Jerusalem... Jerusalem. Now, in, uh, for the Jewish people, this repeated uh, name that is called is usually one of emphasis, one of compassion, one of a heartfelt thing. You think of David calling to Absalom, Oh, Absalom! Absalom! When Absalom died. You think of the Lord talking, Oh, Saul! Saul! And then Jesus, when he's talking to Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. When he's speaking of Jerusalem, he's acknowledging that Jerusalem, these, the religious establishment has killed the prophets and every prophet that's tried to preach against him. 
But look beyond that and you could see his heart. Notice again in verse 34. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings. Now here he says, this is what I would love to do over and over. This is what I would do for you. Is I would protect you. I'd put you in the shadow of my wings. Just like in a rainstorm, you could watch a hen who has these baby chicks. What she'll do is she'll put her arms out and allow the little baby chicklets to get underneath her wings so that way they wouldn't get rained upon. And he says, that's the love and compassion I would show to you is that I would have loved to put you in the shadow of my wings. I would love to give you the protection. I love you so much. I want you to be safe. I want you to have the best. I want to have the blessing. This is my heart. I would over and over. And Jesus is speaking because he is the God. He did not start at Bethlehem. He, he is co-eternal, co-equal. He is God. And so Jesus Christ said over and over, this would be my heart for you, is that I would have protected you if you just came to me, if you just allowed me to be your God, if you just allowed me to be your Savior, if you just would have allowed me, I would have protected you just like a hen and her chicklets. But notice what he said with a brokenheartedness, and ye would not. He says, I love you. I would have protected you. I would have given you everything that you needed. You just had to come to me and allow me to take care of you. But you would not. But you would not. Do you hear his brokenheartedness in here? This is a city that he loves. These are a group of people whom he loves. And he's saying, they break my heart over and over and over again. But I still would have protected them. I still would have guarded them. But they refuse each and every time. With this broken heartedness. He puts a declaration out. Verse 35. Behold your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you. You shall not see me until the time come. When you shall say blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now there's going to be a partial fulfillment when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Remember he gets to Jerusalem. And they're going to put palm, tree, uh, palm branches out. And they're going to sing Hosanna. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But in a couple days afterwards. That same crowd is going to be shouting crucify him. Crucify him. And so this would be a partial fulfillment. But the complete fulfillment will be later on. And in between that time, verse 35, the first part of it will happen. Behold your house. Who is he speaking to? Jerusalem. Behold your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What's going to happen because of the rejection of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel and rejecting Jesus to be their savior, to be their king? God is going to turn his program to working with the Gentiles and what we would call the church age. And during that time, Jerusalem in 70 AD will be destroyed utterly and completely by the Roman emperor. The Roman general Titus, who will become the next Roman emperor, oversees the destruction and wipes Jerusalem off the map, including the temple. 
It's all gone. There becomes a great persecution against the Jewish people in something that is further called the diaspora. And the Jewish people are going to be scattered throughout the earth. And for the next 2,000 years, even though they're still God's people and God still protects them, they're going to be persecuted, mistreated, misaligned, abused, all the time still refusing as a nation, as a whole, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, this didn't have to happen. I would have protected you. I would have watched over you. You brought this on yourself because you refused to allow me to be your God. You refused to allow me to be your Savior. You refused to come to me and allow you to, me to be your help. And so now you have this destruction. And you're not going to see me until the time that I come back. And when I come back, the whole Israel will be saying... Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. These are fulfillment of prophecies made within the minor prophets. When Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to save the city of Jerusalem, which is going to be under persecution by the Antichrist. That the Jewish people are going to be under a great persecution and they're going to be fleeing for their life and they're going to be trying to run for their own protection. And Jesus Christ will come back and save them in that day. And the Jewish people are going to go, wow. Blessed is the name of God. This is the God we've been waiting for the whole time. And the heartbreaking thing is that they didn't have to go through those heartbreaks. They didn't have to go through the troubles. They didn't have to go through those tribulations. They brought it on themselves because over and over and over, they refused to go to Jesus. When he had a free offer, just come unto me. Just come unto me. Just come unto me. In the gospel record of Luke right here, again, we could read it without no compassion, with no emotion whatsoever, and we'll miss the whole thing. Verse number 34 and 35, Jesus is saying with tears in his eyes, with a brokenheartedness, looking towards Jerusalem, knowing what's going to happen, that they're going to reject him again, and that they're going to kill him and crucify him. And with a brokenheartedness, tears running down his face, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent to thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And by the way, by that time they will mean it. You know, if you study the history of Jerusalem and uh, the people Israel, Without a doubt, they have gone through some awful times. And you can look through the persecutions. Let me tell you that the, the Holocaust inside of Germany was not an isolated event. But it was something that had been repeated throughout history time and time again. And the 1200s, when the Black Plague had swept across Europe, killing about one-third of the population, the people blamed the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were killed and persecuted because they were accused of being the carriers of the plague. And they were not. Over and over the Jewish people were plagued. Over and over. 
And you come to something like the Holocaust. You think of the final solution. You think of what the the uh, Nazis did to try to kill and wipe the Jewish people off the maps. Then you think that still was not enough for them to turn to Jesus. That was still not enough persecution for them to give up their own way. They still refused to come to Christ. You understand when we think about the tribulation period dealing with the Hebrew people. It has to be worse than the Holocaust. Because the Holocaust was not enough. You understand when Jesus is saying this. He sees all of history. He sees the persecution. He could see the hardship of the Hebrew people. And what they go through. And he could see the gas chambers. He could see what the Antichrist is going to do. And he's so broken hearted. Because it did not have to be. It did not have to be. When Jesus is saying this. Read this passage. Looking at his face with those tears. Just streaking down. How do we apply something like this? Well first of all. Allow Jesus to take care of you. Stop running. Stop trying to do things yourself. Stop pushing him away. Stop giving excuses of why you can't submit to him. He will protect you. He will guard you. You will have a much better life with Jesus than you ever could without him. If you're away from the Lord right now, run back to him. Come back to a God with tears in his eyes loves you and he wants the best for you. It's not the idea that he wants to control you and dominate you. He wants to give you life and life more abundant. What would keep you away from a God who loves you that much? Second of all, understand there are going to be others that break our heart like this. And we need to have that same compassion as the Lord Jesus Christ. That they may break your heart over and over and over. But you know at any time, even today, if any Hebrew person would come to the Lord, he will take them. Amen. And if the Hebrew people as a, as a culture came to the Lord Jesus Christ, he would take them all. We have many people that may break our hearts. And we could see the destruction they're headed to. And we need to have that compassion we need to be going to the Lord in prayer. We need to be going to the Lord with our tears. Sometimes we've been talking about the verse in the pastor's corner dealing with the idea of Psalm 126, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that goeth forth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. We've lost our tears. We've turned even our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others as a mechanical thing. And we've gotten to the place where our culture tells us that we're not even supposed to cry. What a shame it is to have an altar that does not have tear stains on it. What a tragedy it is that our brokenheartedness does not drive us to the Lord more often. Sure, we could say a little prayer, Lord, change the life, great. Then we wonder why they don't come. Jesus 
who was a man's man, was willing to cry because he was so broken hearted. What if God is waiting for you to finally be broken for people? What about souls? What if God's waiting for you to finally be broken for souls? To understand that people are dying and going to an awful place called hell. To see people that we love. In fact, the more that you mature, the more you grow, the more that you start discerning that, you know what? Sometimes my family religion is not enough. And we write it off and we get frustrated. We talk to them and hang up the phone and Lord, do something with them. Fix them. When's, where are our tears? Where's our brokenness? Where's our heart at? Our heart of compassion, of begging the Lord. Maybe even getting to the place with tears in our eyes, begging them. Just come to Jesus. Just come to Him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.